morning and welcome. Let's start with a prayer. Oh, Good morning and welcome to you. Manu Shamla, welcome. Sonali, welcome today. Thank you. Thank you, Rajesh. All right. Icebreaker for the day. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can, you know, get a new icebreaker every time. So, you know, if you guys are getting bored with it, you know, I welcome <laughs> you to start up with an icebreaker. No, no problem with it at all. So today's icebreaker. So uh, since you're talking about Bhakti Yoga, it's such a coincidence that whatever that I'm learning on Vishnu Sastranama is kind of getting connected, right? So I don't have any other choice other than to, you know, bring something from Vishnu Sastranama into this. So there is a movie in Telugu, uh, Shamala, you might have, you might know the name of the movie. It's called Nari Nari Naduma Murari. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, there are three, four words in this Nari Nari Naduma Murari. Okay. The four words, only one word would be difficult for people who don't understand Hindi. Sorry. Yeah. Who, who know Hindi, if all the other three words would be easy. It is Nari, Nari, Murari. Murari is Krishna. Nari, Nari is a lady. Naduma is, in Telugu, it means in between. Okay? So now the, now the phrase is Krishna in between the ladies. Right? That's, the, that's what it means. So now how, how does this connect, right? So uh, 16,000 gopikas in Vrindavan are dancing with one Krishna. But each of these gopikas, they see that the, the Krishna is dancing with them and they're all, he's also dancing with the lady next to her. That's why the Krishna is in between. Okay. But here is the beauty of it. None of these gopikas apparently had any jealousy. Okay. That Krishna is dancing with the other ladies. He's not exclusive to me. Nothing. Okay. And none of them had this view that I am the greatest because Krishna is dancing with me. So they never had the ahankara or the mamakara. Okay. And that symbolizes the rasa leela, right? The garbha which is coming up next month. That, that's the true meaning of it. Now here's a backstory for it. How, why does Krishna actually dance with 16,000 or, you know, 16,000 is just a number. It says innumerable. Why does Krishna actually dance with so many people? Apparently, the uh, gopikas is a symbolism of Vedas. Okay? Vedas are so elaborate, innumerable and all that. It's so elaborate and Vedas one day they get very upset. The story is this. They go to uh, Krishna and they go to Brahman and he says, you know, we teach everybody that uh, the path to reach you. Everybody reverses. Everybody goes and reaches you, but we are still there only. We are not even doing anything. You know, we are not even progressing in our life. We want to have fun with you. Then Krishna says, you know, in, in this avatar, it's not possible. In the, way, in the way that you are, all of you 
will have an opportunity to you know enjoy life with me in a particular avatar and all these vedas okay they actually become born as gopikas and they enjoy this rasa leela so the the quote and quote in the in the current context a sexual innuendo that the rasa leela has or garbha has you know or the if people ask questions okay you know how can krishna have polygamy and all that you know i think it's all at one level of understanding the real understanding is this so it shows the devotion where the ahankara is gone and ajay something that you wrote in your blog post much today that's my experience yeah. today i hope you guys enjoyed it yeah no it's nice it's uh, i mean to me this uh, whole ahankara mamkara is like it seems seems like the root of all evil in some ways so in a way it's a different context right <laughs> yeah yeah hey having said that duntax you did take some fun out of that <laughs> <laughs> i had to say that <laughs> <laughs> well you know you can still have the fun you just spiritualize the fun spiritualization <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. okay <laughs> i think it was pretty appropriate especially given the garba is coming up next uh, next month i think we had to understand the sentiment behind how all these traditions have come across right and i found it pretty interesting hey i'm nice. just curious like because i i'm i think all of us are familiar with rasa leela and gopika krishna everything right all these stories but i have never heard this so how many people do we believe that they know like the core of this type of meaning of the symbolism because i i'm really not sure i always i always used to think the age of krishna when he was growing up versus the age when he was in this uh, you know kingdom he must have been a small boy he when he was having this rasalila or whatever now it is predicted portrayed as if he is like a like you know a grown up man who is like you know flirting around if you think about the age he must have been a small boy there he was all of eight yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and interesting yeah. yeah i think ahead, you, there are there are two stories that are sort of mixed up in this a little bit so the ras leela which is there is at the age of eight and the 16000 wives that he had is later on he married 16000 because they were captured by the um by the by one asur and um krishna kills the asur and frees them up but who's going to marry these girls because they were with asur so he marries all of them but they had wished to marry him in their previous births but these gopikas were yes what uh, krishna uh, what rajesh was mentioning about the vedas so when krishna took avatar everybody in heavens and everywhere they chose a role to come and be on earth even the trees they say in the nidhi uh, nidhi one where the raslila happens uh, even they were actually um, demi demi gods or or those in heavens who decided to come on earth and observe it and watch it and uh, this thing um, i think narad muni he was he was confused okay let me see how the how the things are working on the ground in dwarka with 16108 wives i'm sure somebody must be you know uh, annoyed and expectations mismatch etc and 
he comes down and he goes to the first palace and he sees krishna doing say morning aarti the second house he goes to then he sees him playing so he was actually present in all this he was present with all the 16108 wives at the same time and that's the only presence of him which is then so then narada was like okay <laughs> sorry for <laughs> thinking of him as a normal human being who can deal with 16000 wives at the that's a nice black story yeah <laughs> it's it's such a such a powerful thing and i think it it kind of you know uh, dovetails pretty nicely into the topic that we're discussing today right at the end of the day you know people talk about uh, lots of things but there is this you know especially in the vaishnavite community in south india in you know, vishnu there is a beautiful word called sharanagati and they just you know i recall you know 3 years back i was coming back from india and uh, that was uh, maybe it was probably the first time maybe four years back just the, the first time that i had met my swami ji my guru and i was so elated as coming back and on the flight I, i sat next to a guy you know you remember this was the time there was this um, uh, in kanchipuram the temple the god uh, adivaradan once in 42 years something you know it, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. so this guy had flown from india to go see that particular uh, uh, deity and come back and we were you know chatting we were uh, sitting in the same flight and we were chatting and i was giving him all you know my excitement about how i met my guru and you know and what i am listening because he saw me listening to swami ji and he was saying what are you listening on so i told him you know khato upanishad and all that then i asked him what's his back story he said you know i went to see this and i did that and all that then uh, you know talk went on here and there he said uh, you know at the end of the day a pretty accomplished guy i don't recall what he was doing you know at the end of the day he said you know i am i belong to this vaishnavite tradition and all my gurus have taught me is charanagati just do everything for him that's what he said and said wow that's beautiful and you know that's exactly what krishna says in this chapter to us right mm. so um, you know <clears throat> so i had posted something on the whatsapp group you know based on uh, my understanding of how this chapter goes and uh, in that you know if you see bhakti yoga i mean he says that you do this 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 and so on so bhakti yoga comes somewhere up front itself and you know if you're not able to do bhakti yoga then of course you know you try to do you think of me and do everything or you do basically you do karma yoga and leave the actions to me and that also is not possible then you do meditation and so on so uh, uh, so do we have to see it in the other way that you know like if if i'm have to start then basically uh i'm not ready for a bhakti yoga yet so you start with a um, you know meditation or a uh, you know karma yoga and then move up till you till you till you are able to contemplate on the brahman directly i think the way to look at it is uh, because it's not your first janma right so you might have done something in the earlier ones so it's i don't think it's sequential to that extent and you can pick it up whichever you connect well with wherever so that's how i see so it's there's no hierarchy per se uh, i think whatever is the uh, the effect you work on that cause whatever effect you want so if it is the i think the the, the few pointers we had discussed earlier as well that if it is the focus which is a problem that the mind is not focused and it's going here and there then starting with upasana or bhakti is the way but if the if there are impurities in the mind itself then 
maybe you should start with karma yoga as well or you can do it simultaneously as well i think whatever is the effect that we are trying to say so I'm, i mean that's my view but i don't know yeah rajesh please add that is there a hierarchy even krishna is, is not saying anywhere whether even nirguna upasana is better or saguna upasana is better he keeps away um, arjun has asked the same question whether i should take sanyasa yeah. or karma yoga and he keeps avoiding that question <laughs> he gives pros and cons for both and say you decide what you want to do and what is fit for you and if you are so asking this question that you know should i go for a um, you know a sanyasi uh, you know so then you know that you know <laughs> you're not ready for that that's what he says right <laughs> yeah i mean he talks about a contemplative mind to go into uh, into 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 sanyasa and to develop it i mean he he does talk about you know somehow i think that he suggests both which is kind of not uh, a surprise but uh, I mean, reading some commentary, I got a feeling that he says Saguna kind of worship is great; it's fantastic. But then, sort of Nirguna is the ultimate, which is intuitive. Both of, both of them will come to me. Whether you do Saguna Pasna only and leave it at that point, even that is fine. That eventually, you will merge with him, or you yeah. start the Nirguna Pasna. In fact, he says why it is difficult. So he says, you know, he gives eight ways to to think of him. Um, and then there are three very important things that you should have your um, mind under control and then the second is you should think about uh, benef uh, you know welfare of everybody and mm. then the third one was uh, samabuddhi in all situations so only if you have these three and then you do nirguna upasana you will actually attain me so so he says and then he talks about that uh, this path is actually very difficult to do nirguna upasana and the five kleshas which are talked about in patanjali yoga uh, they are the ones which make it really really hard the uh, avidya rag dvesh abhivin abhinivesh 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 yeah. yeah so so and asmita no asmita asmita is also there yeah yeah so those are the five which will uh, haunt you <laughs> you know um if what if you are and if you have deh abhiman meaning if you have this identification with the body it is very hard you are identifying with your body and you want the god to be without a form it is hard to do first try it on yourself and then get to nirguna upasana so he actually wants you that yes nirguna upasana you can go ahead and do it but only if you are able to do it with these things in mind so so i think it is if you are ready pick it up if you want to take it as a challenge take it but um both the options are available if you do saguna upasana the form itself will help you as well yeah you know that's what he yeah, says actually it seems it seems like a more logical route to nirguna upasana the question i had for you was that is it possible to get moksha without nirguna upasana no because that is that involves gyana yoga which is part of nirguna upasana yeah. right yeah Yeah. yeah actually but he says that even with saguna upasana i will give you buddhi yoga so i think exactly. what happened with, with so you will get the gyan eventually moksha will happen only from gyan whether yeah. but whether it comes from saguna upasana or nirguna upasana uh, both of them eventually you need to have the gyan and that will give you moksha yeah and like so for example alpana to add to your point right to your question 
you know the, the in, in gita he talks about there is a there is he talks about this great king janaka right he says janaka is was one of those guys who was a king all the time and he followed the path of action karma yoga and then he he was given gyana and then he reached the guru i think it uh, who's the ashtavaka ashtavaka no no there's another uh, of brahma ஒன்ஸ்ட்ரெண்ட்ஸ்ட்ரெண்ட்ஸ்ட்ரெண்ட் if you have if you have a car you'll you'll go to a particular road but if if you don't have a car you may take a footpath right so when i say constraints you know depends on what your mindset is as an individual what mindset do we have what kind of a body mind constitution do we have where are we naturally inclined that's a question that we have to ask ourselves and then experiment with different things you know and for example i can tell you you know in the last one year i tried to do nirguna upasana it's impossible for me to do it i just cannot do it i struggle big time So are you saying that an image of uh, of the lord or some image uh, some vibhuti comes into your mind or when you say it's hard what does that mean what 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 uh, what happens is that uh, when you do nirguna upasana after some time you you get distracted is it what's happening you know i i just don't understand what i am doing right you go through the mm. there is a guided instructions by, by swami ji and all that but it, you know i'm not attuned so i just step back and say no maybe i'll have to practice something else differently and then i'll have to do this right so my meditation practice becomes slightly different then i i use use a different technique which is sagana upasana which is japa which is what i do. right right got it this uh, to say that i don't do karma yoga you know that also i do but that's yeah. my life that's part of my let's say the 23 and a half hours the other half hour that i meditate is 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 japa Got it. And just to, I I I also view it as two different paths, right? I mean, I I don't know. I, when I went through Gita, the um, the impression or the understanding I had is that Bhakti Yoga and Karma Yoga are pretty much at the same level, and both of them kind of leading to Nana Yoga, which is um, uh, uh, which is higher, right? So both of them help with. uh purification of the mind or becoming more satvic uh they just two different paths and you can mix and match uh things depending on your nature right what you're inclined towards for in, uh just a case in point i i i i couldn't uh i i still have not been able to uh, do bhakti yoga in in uh, as a as a complete practice for me i'm more and more inclined towards uh um nirguna um a form of god uh and sometimes i don't even call it god uh, so it's very um so it's a, i don't know yeah. it's different i guess no, I so can, and I... that's the whole point i guess that's the whole point that people are different whatever appeals to us right instead of it being one this is the way and this is the only way they they're placing different methods in front of you because the uh, people are coming at it from a different um they're bringing their own nature to it And, and i can add that i am more on sorry no and i don't think you can stay on one path 
I think that would be difficult for me to say consistently stay either this or that. Because I think it depends on what time of your life you're in, what is your mental Absolutely. frame of mind. It'll change, yeah. So you I'm, lean into one or the other as you keep going. And I think that's okay because the ultimate goal is one. So it doesn't matter yeah. if you chip in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm like in the similar one, uh, Kishore. And partly because growing up, I never were these kind of what I call religious, uh, you know, idols or figures or vibhutis. And so I, I kind of never related to it in, in, in the sense that I was kind of skeptical. Maybe I was ignorant as well. And so even now when I have to do any dhyana, I can't, I can't you know, have an image of any of these because none of them appeals to me. Appeals to me. Uh, I think the other point I wanted to make was that I was listening to uh, Swami Paramatmananda ji. And he kind of suggests that bhakti yoga is kind of all and uh, all encompassing to the extent that it includes karma yoga and upasana and the sort of the Vedantic meditation, which leads to jnana and uh, mukti uh, and, and moksha. So it kind of suggested that when, when we are in chapter 12, it is not about just doing sort of what you call upasana, but includes all the different sort of streams of yoga which ultimately lead to uh, the oneness with uh, with the with the uh, uh, with the ultimate reality so i don't know whether is that like a different interpretation or the, the way i look at it um, I, 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 i'm not I, sure how that sort of comes in yeah Ajay, um, at least my understanding you know is that um, you know um, eventually uh, there are you know the bhakti yoga and the symbols and the symbolism is going to definitely help no doubt about it in the sense that having a concept like um yeah you know even if it's not brahman or even the concept of atma and it, 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 they are very abstract right and it's going to be difficult and these symbols are going to help you right so even if you if you don't uh, get those concepts, the abstract concepts at this point, it's easier to just say, I will get there. But for now, here are the uh, symbols and I can see these symbols in everything I do, right? I mean, I, so I get it. I, um, in fact, Rajesh and I had a good conversation about this uh, a few days ago. Uh, I, I completely get it. I, um, there's a lot of respect in that um, method uh, completely. Uh, I'm just saying that I'm not able to uh, at this point to see that but um, but what happens then is that when you do things um, are you able to constantly remind yourself of the right action the right attitude which is the karma yoga attitude in everything that you do right and are you aware uh, are you able to keep that awareness and consciousness in you uh, when you're performing anything like when you're when you're on a conference call or when you're with family or when you're going for a walk are you able to constantly keep that um, awareness right um, and that's hard right um, when there are symbols you're able to see uh, the god in everything that you see around you and it reminds you of various things right when you feel uh, the breeze or when you when you see rain it reminds you of uh, because they're connecting everything that you see in nature with with a um, uh, with a god, so that kind of reminds you. Uh, and oftentimes, without those symbols, it's harder. Definitely harder. No doubt about that. Uh, 
So I, I see it uh, along those lines, but finally, I, we all need to, I think, understand um, the ultimate reality and that's where the path is leading us, right? So, yeah. So, yeah. so like, I think Rajesh had posted this extract from on his WhatsApp uh, status, I think, and I, uh, it's on, in this chapter two that we've read, it's on page 118, I think, if I remember right. Uh, you know, it talks about what your presence is and how you work towards it. It talks about, you know, if you see your presence in society as not an unfortunate accident, but as a logical incident, you'll find yourself important and approach life with a purpose. I find that highly significant as a statement because then it just makes you constantly remind yourself as to what you're doing, why you're doing it, and move towards a path that way you're always being aware of what you're doing. And how you're moving forward, and that's and that can also bring in that you know whatever Alpana was mentioning as uh, uh, the third uh, prerequisite, the samabuddhi or something, you know, the equality. Like so that I treat everybody, uh, any job or in, anybody doing any job, I treat you know with respect. I think that can also come from yeah. The same. I think I think uh, Anupama, what you said makes a lot of sense, and it, it it's a very beautiful way of uh, you know interpreting the uh, the entire universe, right? For example, you know, at this point of time, you know, most of us uh, may have this attitude that you know uh, it is me and this universe, right? And then there is somebody else called God. So these three entities we have in mind, whether we like it or not, that's how it it gets structured initially for us, and then. Then when it says, okay, then you say, oh, I am part of this universe. First thing is we realize that I am part of this universe. And the next thing that we realize is the universe is working with some sort of a grand scheme of things in which I'm also part of it. I may be a cog in the wheel, but I'm an essential cog in the wheel because without me, the universe will not work as effectively as what it would have otherwise work. Right? When that comes, then we do our work. What is our work to the best possible extent? And what is our work is defined by us. We have to define, okay, today, and that's where I go back. I think in the initial stages of our discussion, I talked about roles. I think it's extremely powerful to keep take a white piece of paper and write down the roles, what we do in our life. Okay. And roles, again, I'm emphasizing it's roles, but the point is that's the work that we do for others. The moment we start saying, okay, this is my role. I'm a father. I'm a child. I'm a uh, taxpayer, you know, whatever, right? Then, you know, you can write some 10, 15 roles and then you say, I'm going to do this to the best of my abilities and best of my abilities in what way? Then, then the moment you start thinking about that, you'll get two or three pointers. Then you say, wow, my role is significant. Okay. Then, you, then things just fall off, you know, wearing a mask and going outside makes sense now suddenly. I think uh, uh, Rajesh, uh, just to point to our discussion from last time, the, the pixels and the entire uh, screen. I know for the benefit of others who didn't, who weren't there, uh, I think it was a good an analogy, right? Yeah. Um, I think Alpana uh, explained this as, um, you know, if you take a huge screen and then see that, you know, obviously there are many, many thousands of pixels there. Now, if each pixel says, hey, I'm not perfect, um, I want to be of a different color than what I am right now, um, without seeing 
how they contribute to the overall picture. Because finally, when you zoom out and come to the top of it and, and see the screen, it's perfect, right? But it's perfect because each pixel has uh, plays a part. So in that sense, we all play, we are all pixels in, in that sense, and we all play a part. Uh, the overall thing is perfect, right? When you look at it from a screen perspective. Um, and what we can do is, is to become the best version of ourselves in that particular uh, pixel that we are playing, right? So in other words, that's what you're saying as well. Yeah. Even in this particular chapter, uh, there was an analogy similarly about a body cell. Even in our own body, we have many cells. And whether it's a brain cell or a cell in your feet or in your hand or anywhere, it has to still do just its part and be very perfect. Otherwise, the body will have like something. So I felt that very well connected to this thing, being a part of the whole and doing your job. And then it also pervades a lot of other things about having our particular role or responsibilities or even originally why there were like all these four Varnas and castes and everything that started saying, this is your job, do your job kind of. But it comes out a little bit bad when somebody else tells you what to do. But if you realize that this is my job, this is how I'm supposed to best contribute to the whole, then it, it seems to make more sense and we are at peace with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's our attitude that we have, right? In terms of what whatever work that we do, I think if we bring that attitude saying that this work is important, may not be important for, you know, uh, the person who's doing it, but if, the, if, if it is actually, if, if it's more important for the rest of the people, the work, what you're doing, then I think that's, that adds a lot of impetus. And I think uh, it, it, it's, 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 uh, you know, I found, I found that statement very powerful because sometimes we end up, you know, I end up this, in this thing saying that, hey, what is it in, what's in it for me, right? You know, when I get that attitude, what's in it for me? And if I don't find a payoff for me, I don't do it. But now with this approach, what's in it for me becomes, okay, who is benefiting out of this? If there's a benefit for somebody, do it, period. Now, no questions asked. That attitude change happened and that's so powerful. Maybe pivoting this a little differently, right? What is in it for me is one, and, and the same statement about I'm not an accident. If we look at the same thing about others, maybe the acceptance becomes a bit more easier. Right? I mean, the, the whole conversation is about, yes, I am important. Yes, I am contributing and I am part of the big picture. But most of the time, I think we also have an example of the pixels in the screen, right? You know, I'm trying to correct the other pixels. I am assuming <laughs> that I am not looking my best. I'm not doing my best because of another pixel, right? And it could be at work. It could be at home. It could be, you know, any sort of a relationship. Maybe applying the same statement saying that other one is also not an accident. They are doing their best and maybe we'll make a little more, uh, the acceptance a little more easier and move on. Well said, hard to follow in marriage. <laughs> <laughs> no, beyond marriage too, right? I mean, even at workplace, anything. Most of the, you know, the interpersonal equations that we talk about is for the feeling that, yes, I think what I'm doing is right. And we have more of it that I, I don't know whether that's ego, ahankara, I don't want to put an inappropriate word on it. But it's all about centered around how I feel and what I do. But a, a little more broadening of that may make it a little easier for acceptance perspective. I'm okay. It totally does. Okay. 
Hey, uh, I just want to ask a question, which is kind of connected to what uh, you said, Shamla and, and Guntax. Um, and this is kind of confusing me. And when I say me itself, it's confusing. So, <laughs> uh, so, so let me ask the question because it's it's very well connected to what you just said. So, so Krishna says the uh, you are confused, right? He says you are confused because you are not doing your, uh, you don't understand. And then he goes on to do uh, explain the the yogas and everything. So when he says you are confused, do we mean that the Atma is confused or is it the ego that is confusing the Atma? Like what is the cause of the confusion? Which one is the cause of the confusion? Which So when we are saying that you have to remove the ignorance and the confusion, right? Um, the Atma needs to tell everybody else get away because I'm not confused anymore. Is that, I'm not able to reconcile that. You know That's, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think Arjun said I'm confused. Yeah, Arjun Karpanya said Prachami, that shloka. Yeah. Arjun says, I am confused. What should I be doing? You tell me the path. So when Arjun is saying I am confused, he is saying from body-mind complex. Okay. And uh, uh, wherever, actually, interestingly in Gita, Atma refers to nine things. I haven't counted, but somebody told me and I'm just reiterating it. But it's used, but it depends on the context. You know, which, what, what does it mean? Whether it actually means Atma as a body-mind complex or just the subtle body or the causal body or the Parabrahm or even as God, as the, you know, Saguna Brahman. So it's used in different, different ways. But, uh, you know, and, and to your point about the second one, who is confused? It is the, it is the mind. So the ignorance is in the mind and the ignorance needs to be removed from the mind. And if you think about it, even Vedas are Shruti. They are words. Words are matter. So the ignorance will cut ignorance. And that's what they say, even when, so when you are enlightened, you drop even Vedas. Vedas don't make sense to you because it is still part of the physical world. world. So it is like the example they take. If you are, if you, if a thorn goes into you, you pick up another thorn and you take out the thorn and you throw away both the thorns. You don't keep the one you use to take out the other one, right? So that is how even Vedanta is is physical. It is, it is part of the ignorance. But in, but it belongs to the same reality. You know the the yeah. transaction, the empirical reality we talk about. So it fixes at that level. Only in a dream, only a dream food can pacify your th uh, your hunger or thirst. The real you may have a lot of food in the fridge in the real world, but it cannot be used for the for the hunger inside the dream so similarly the brahman has no ignorance you know as we were saying but that ignorance is is not incompatible with the with this reality and hence that 
clarity doesn't help us become clear in this empirical reality. So it has to be something in this empirical reality which will remove it. Was that your yeah. question? I thought that was your yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, 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 is, it is making a lot of sense because the Atma cannot by itself be confused, right? So that is very logical. That's so right. it is that thing that everything is in, in front of it is blocking it from realizing that there's something at the root of it. Correct. And that blockage is only in the empirical reality and it needs to be removed in the empirical reality. Yeah. And that, that is what Arjuna is trapped by, right? That's what he, he's going to say. Okay. Thank you. Actually, another way of looking at it is, you know, with the, with the understanding of uh, Gita that we have so far in terms of, you know, the Atma, mind, body and all that. If we ask ourselves the question, okay, what exactly is the definition of individuality? Okay. When, when someone says, I am an individual, right? What exactly are they saying? It's, it's, it's such a revealing question because the moment you say that, it's always talks about mind and body does not talk about anything beyond that. So they define their individuality based on that. So effectively individuality is a notion that we have about ourselves. I am like this. I like this. This is my preference. That is the individuality. Okay. That entity gets confused. Yeah. And in effect, that individuality is nothing that the moment you break that individuality, I think Ajay or someone wrote in, in, in their notes today, right? the ego or whatever that you call it, mind, body, ego, whatever that you call it, that, that subtle part of ourselves, that notion, the moment that you break it, yeah, you move beyond, you know, that dirty mirror uh, glass is cleaned up and then you move beyond and you see who you truly are. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Very clear. I also just wanted to add one thing which Ajay was asking earlier about, you know, different paths together. Actually, there are coined words as well. So we call it Bhakti Mishrit Karma Yoga. And that's probably what is described mostly in this chapter, uh, where, you know, what Sakuba had written different points. So if you can't do this, then, then at least if you are, if you think you are more of a Karma Yogi, then even to do Karma Yoga, properly if you do it with devotion you can use god as you know god as one figure and keep uh, uh, either um, thinking that we are doing it for them you know that makes the karma yoga part easier mm. so that's where it becomes a combination of uh, bhakti mishrit karma yoga similarly we have bhakti mishrit gyan yoga so, you know Mostly they don't come stand alone, you know, very few people are purely on a path. But any path can take to more. So I, I actually have a question on that for Rajesh. Uh, you know, then why does Swamiji, what Ajay was saying previously, that all these different uh, Karm Yoga and uh, Gyan Yoga and Upasana Yoga, um, are sort of embodied within Bhakti Yoga. Because I also picked up the same thing when we were reading that Tattu Bodha uh, things. Um, so that confusion still lingers on that 
my understanding is that bhakti yoga is all encompassing yeah and Doesn't and this sense? is also something that he he's also covered this in the geeta sort of sabri lectures the vp and he talks about this as more like a like a staircase where you start with uh, with karma yoga you do upasana which are all sort of saguna but ultimately you end up as nirguna upasana or uh, you know uh, vedanta vedantic meditation uh, to get to moksha so it seems like i mean there's no there's no sort of it's not like they overlap so it's not like you know you can't do one without the other but the ultimate goal can only be achieved if you do everything and get to the end of it which is nirguna brahman nirguna upasana so vp i i don't know the answer exactly why uh, how he has presented it because i probably have not uh, you know assimilated what he said but the sense that i get is uh, you know uh, it's it's the it's the different paths that's going to help you to develop the attitude that is required for you to understand the knowledge that has been shared with us the knowledge is very simple okay i think alpana said that in last week right the uh, she used a nice word the uh, punchline is already uh, there aham brahmasmi is the punchline that all everybody knows but do we really know and if you don't know that that means there is something that we have to change in our attitude in our approach in our mindset so that we can know it really okay so maybe bhakti yoga karma yoga are are different essential steps that one one needs to do you know bhakti yoga means what you know is it just sitting in front of your an idol and then doing thing that is not that is not what what bhakti yoga is that's the externalization of bhakti yoga it is developing that attitude that everything is there is an entity called god okay and i am doing everything for that person or that entity and whatever that i get is from that entity that attitude that attitude is karma yoga actually then we get confused oh should i do should i do karma yoga should i do bhakti yoga answer is it really doesn't matter at the end of the day it's your attitude that you're developing yeah yeah no i get that part but i think the confusion is that why is he saying that all these three yogas when he's talking about these four different yogas and how why is that bhakti yoga sort of takes care of the entire three things like you do all these three whether you do in parallel or sequentially um, i am not sure what he says about that but once you get to that ultimately it's all about bhakti yoga so that's where my doubt my question was coming from what you are saying i get that that's that's all well covered in our prior discussions but this confusion remains there in my mind as to why is he talking like that so maybe next time you meet him you should you know get yeah. that clarification but i think you got a list of questions for him right please add that there of course No, no, but my questions are for uh, Sapriyananda ji, not for Parmatha Nanda ji. Because I, I, you, know, so, you, you can you can you can use the same questions, Vipi. <laughs> so if you if you but go by the this one is specific to him because he said that, right? Yeah, yeah. Sapriyananda he didn't say that. No, I will I will definitely. I don't know when I'm going to meet him, but every time I go to Chennai, I will definitely go seek his blessings and come back. I will definitely ask this question for sure. Thank you. And and if you go to Chennai, uh, Rajesh, uh, yeah. I would definitely want to kind of come and meet uh, meet him as well. Absolutely, absolutely. He's he's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> so good to see if you if you if I go with the definition that you gave for uh, bhakti yoga, yeah, I think 
then it there's no confusion at all right i mean so uh, but many of us get you know at least at least i at least i am confused in terms of the definition of the bhakti yoga itself so is there any um, any chapter or any any place where you know uh, this is exactly uh, explained the way it is because otherwise for me bhakti yoga means you know uh devotion to god and currently i'm not able to think beyond uh, you know a uh, uh, murti and you know doing some thing for that actually yeah, yeah so yeah. no you you're right uh, sakuba it's it's I, i don't know if there is any chapter or anything but if there is anything i will definitely let you know but the way that i think about it is you know if you if you understand that i don't remember where i read this i think maybe swami vivekananda said work is worship okay yeah. people don't understand what is worship people don't understand what is work also okay work now let's assume for the moment that work is depend based on the set of roles what we have now what is what does worship mean in that case that is bhakti yoga doing that with that attitude is bhakti yoga then you don't have you don't need any symbolization nothing you say okay i am going to do this and this is i am going to say what are my plants today what attitude do i have when i water the plants today right do i see that plant as important for this entire universe to function you know it may sound preposterous when i say that but the point is it is an important element of this entire universe as much as what you and i are and when i have a responsibility towards that i do it with that attitude seeing that you are part of the whole i am part of the whole right and that's bhakti yoga actually you're developing an attitude which is beyond the sense of identity that we normally have i mean see this is a question that 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 has always bothered me right you know why do people get married or have children right the point is we are all individuals the sense of identity ends at fingertips that's it but the moment you get married the sense of identity moves beyond your fingertips to at least sometimes it moves beyond right and then you have children right it moves a little bit beyond then you develop a different mindset then it moves a lot more beyond then what happens vasudeva kutumbikam that's the goal uh, rajesh just to add to that um and uh, uh, sakuba rajesh uh, that's way, because sorry go ahead go ahead uh, sorry I, i i was just adding to that point um i simplify it in my mind in 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 three things right one is uh, if you if you remember the chapter in karma yoga it says you know obviously inaction is not an option so you have to act and so then the question is what is right action so that is one thing right so what is the right action second is what is a when i act what is the attitude which is right intention right so the second point then becomes what is the right intention the intention with which we act and the third one is any time you act you're going to get results one day or the other you are welcome to expect some things and then you're going to get results which is again the karma yoga attitude how do i what is the right attitude with which i accept the results so if i just bucket it into these three right action right intention which is nothing but attitude with which you act and the right attitude with which you receive results right But if you just simplify it into this one way of now looking at it is through the karma yoga lens and and talk in in slightly abstract terms right because you know right action is something where it benefits more number of people 
and not just you, right? So the number of beneficiaries is greater than one. As, as much as it's greater than one, it's better. It's a, right, it's a better action. Um, the right intention obviously is at the level of thought. It's not just the act of giving something or, or helping somebody, but at the level of thought, did you help with a very pure intention rather than expecting something back from them when you help them? Right? So it's going deeper into the level of thought and seeing what is the purity there. Um, and then the same thing with when you receive results, are you receiving it with full acceptance and not craving or, or um, pushing it away one way or the other? Are you able to accept it purely? Like again, in a very, um, uh, yeah, in a, in a very pure sense and to accept it. So if, if it comes down to these three, now you can also view this uh, using a bhakti yoga lens, which makes it slightly easier for some people to say, whatever I do, I do it for the Lord. And whatever I get back is Lord's gift to me. When you present it that way, and if you, your nature is such that that is going to help you, then that is constantly reminding you of whenever you perform this action, it's constantly reminding you, do it in a very pure way because this is your offering to the Lord. And when you receive something, accept it, whether or not you consider it to be good or bad, there is no such thing as good or bad. It is, a, it is an offer, it is something that you're getting back, right? So uh, it finally comes down to how, which, um, um, which lens you use to kind of assimilate this for yourself. In the, in the karma yoga lens, it sometimes is hard, no doubt about it, to have this attitude and especially at the level of thought. The level of speech, we might say, uh, say something that's pleasant, but at the level of thought, can you be clear what the intention is at all times? And that is only possible when awareness has kicked in in a really big way. Uh, because whenever you're doing, you're really aware, you're fully immersed in it, and you're clear what those intentions are. Sometimes when you're doing things that may not be pleasant to you, that's very hard, isn't it? So to counter that, how do you counter that? How do you, count, and you, do you counter that by bringing in a lot more awareness, which uh, essentially means, hey, wait a minute, even though this, I, I currently don't like doing this, can I, um, can I convert it to something that I like? Because um, what, what is the reason that you bring in there, right? And for in, in the bhakti yoga lens, it's much easier because, hey, this is not, this is something I, I don't like to do, but hey, wait a minute, I need to do this because I'm doing this for the Lord, right? So that makes it a lot more easier for me if you are, if you're drawn to that um, uh, path or you're inclined towards that path. It, it's much more harder for, definitely for somebody like me who is not inclined to that path at this point. It will change, it may change, I don't, I, I'll not deny that. But it's, it's much harder to be at the level of abstractness, abstract um, uh, thinking, and, and just always be that way, right? It's harder. So I, I'll boil it down to the key takeaway for me is these three things, uh, right action, right intention, right attitude of, of receiving results. Yeah, yeah makes, sense, makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, uh, we were introduced to maybe I think I, I can understand the confusion where it is coming from, you know, uh, the concept of 
Prasad Buddhi and Isharapana, you know, uh, what is the other one? Isharapana uh, Buddhi. Yeah, Isharapana Buddhi and Prasad Buddhi. So I think th- we were introduced uh, to that as part of Karam Yoga. And I think that's where at least the confusion for me is that, you know, is that, uh, but what you explained is that only, right? I mean, I'm doing it, if I'm doing everything, uh, you know, with an Ishwarpana Buddhi and uh, accepting the results as a, as if it is a prasad from the uh, Lord, uh, then that's what you're saying is also from a Bhakti Yoga lens, actually. But I think at least the confusion for me was that, you know, I mean, I was associating that with a Karma Yoga Karma. and I think Karma. It's, it's okay. I think, Essentially, uh, I think it's the same thing. Uh, yeah, it it is how you, uh, yeah, how you value or how you remind yourself of these three things at at every instance that's the actually you know there there is there is a uh, uh, practice among the Sikh religions if you if you guys if you guys noticed they do quote-unquote menial work in the Gurudwaras for example I've seen Singh sitting there and uh, cleaning chapels of everybody devotees who come there's no reason for that other than the fact that you know he's developing an attitude saying that all work is important and it's like a solidification of that attitude into real right? So there's nothing wrong. For example, in in the in the uh, in the uh, mathas that we we belong to, right? Me and Mahesh, you know, there are people who go, accomplished people who go into the kitchen, they chop vegetables, they cook, they come and serve, and they don't eat before uh, before they uh, serve the people. Okay, and the reason is very simple. It's it's just that they're saying this is important. I know I I can be a great guy, you know whatever, PhD, multi-millionaire, da-da-da-da, all that stuff. But this work is important. I, I want to do this because I want to develop an attitude towards a menial work, quote-unquote menial, okay? Menial work that I consider it as menial, therefore I'm developing this attitude. That's such a powerful statement. Every work is important. All right. I'm just looking at, uh, you know, the some segues that we need to cover the chapter, right? So I'm just going back to, so I guess that Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, confusion, you know, probably, you know, may have reduced, hopefully with this discussion right now. Okay. Maybe I can see a thumbs up or a thumbs down, then we can decide whether to, okay, cool. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, so another segue, maybe an interesting debate that, that we can have. You know, the importance of rituals, you know, how many of us think actually rituals are irrelevant, they're all stupidity or maybe, yes, there is some value to it. Maybe there is some, you know, sense to it. I don't get it yet. Okay. I I went through a phase where I thought it was, um, I didn't understand it. I I, I thought it was a waste. Um, But now I understand. Um, I understand it. I think I understand it. But I, I still don't do it, but I think I understand it. I appreciate it. My I would say I'm... as defined, maybe in the beginning were relevant, but I think we've watered them down. We have uh, diluted over a period of time as we were blindly following. So I think there is a reason. Some of them you are able to relate to it. Some of them have gotten diluted. So I would say that uh, I am more ritualistic, but those are rituals that I have sort of accepted to practice, if that makes sense. 
So I've chosen that I will do this. I will not do that because this appeals to me and I get the logic or I uh, emotionally, you know, feel this is the right thing to do. So therefore I will do it. But it's not that because you're supposed to get up at 4 a.m. and take a cold water bath in the middle of the winter. So I'm not sure if I necessarily want to do that. Yeah, and, right, and, and I think part... Sorry, go ahead, Kuba. Yeah, I agree with uh, VP on this. Normally, everybody does some rituals to get their own benefit. For example, I go to Tirupati every year. Just in, in the initial stages, I, I thought, you know, God will help me make me some money. You know, is an example. So I, I, I visit there. I mean, I mean I, somebody told me if you go to a nearby temple and do some puja called uh, Sarpa Dosha or something like that, it will benefit you. So I go there. I sometimes go there, do some, and, and I feel that I benefited and I benefited as well. You know, see these rituals blindly followed and you get benefit also sometimes. Sometimes even if you don't get benefit because of others, you do it. But at the end of the day, you, I mean, maximum of the people which I see, which I also follow, is that which suits and which benefits us is what we do. So I'd like to add my perspective on the rituals. So I think, uh, you know, there's some kind of rituals I can't relate with, you know, which is animal sacrifice, for example. You know, and I'm not saying that's wrong or right because they might, might have some logic. So, but let's say take another simple ritual, you know, like what you were saying, uh, let's say visiting the temple. So I also went through a lot of it in my head that, you know, if you can pray sitting at your home, why do you need to go to a temple? So I'll just tell you what, what my experience is. And I mean, my vote is yes, I believe in rituals and some similar to VP that not all, but yes, the ones that suit me. But just taking a simple example, what was being just discussed about visiting the temple. So what I felt is that once you take a sankal that I am going to visit temple every Thursday or this temple every Tuesday, then what will happen, what I have experienced is that lots of challenges and bottlenecks will come and it is in overcoming and you'll have 20 reasons. Is This is the reason. But in overcoming those obstacles and Sticking to it, not just out of greed that if I go, I'll get some pull. But no, no, I've taken this resolution. I need to do that. I think following that ritual uh, against all the things that come against the headwinds that you face, I think brings a lot of discipline. So that's what I feel about rituals. So my vote is yes, you know, believe in rituals, but yes, not all, especially the ones like animal sacrifice that I'm not able to sort of relate with. I am with uh, Rajiv too. I, I follow these rituals because it, that day my that room gets cleaned. If if I don't follow <laughs> that, it was cleaned. Like you know, I I follow it that way. Hey, one day I I I skip breakfast till the puja is done. That's a way. It's you know, if you don't have that, uh, it, it gets a discipline into you to do certain things. That for me, I think is the biggest. It gets you into a discipline which you probably may not have. But if you can be disciplined on your own, then I feel the ritual of, in my head, is a redundant thing. Uh, if I can do certain things which are, you know, if I can live right and have a good day or whatever, um, then I don't need the ritual to do it, to, you know, make me tick that box. 
the only part what i don't like is if you get judged by not doing it correctly <laughs> or something that's the part that <laughs> puts me yes. away from doing hey uh, uh, anupama to what you said that itself is a ritual right like if you're having a good day that's a ritual of having a good day yes okay. but i'm talking about the steps that you lead to it i don't think i need a prescribed it's a bit like saying you know when we talked about having idols i feel it's idols is for one end goal rituals are for another is also for an end goal to help you get there okay i don't know if i'm actually i don't think i'm articulating it right but it's quite clear in my head on what i mean by it one is more for a physical um another one is for the mind yeah yep absolutely that you are talking about the mental discipline that one 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 needs to cultivate right yeah so on the on the same topic right the other other question is how many how many of us actually think that you know having sim, symbolism as in the you know a statue a small statue or a picture or something to personify god is actually a very great idea or it's a it seems pretty quote unquote religious and all that stuff and to be banished i mean a reason yeah, is this part of the part of the gd part of the book okay this particular chapter that we are reading it's important to understand these concepts rajesh can i just uh, make one more point on the previous question before we go to this one um you know when i i initially mentioned i didn't i i kind of put away rituals and thought it was some uh, old relic right i mean that i i went through that phase right uh, i just wanted to share what changed and uh, with my understanding uh, maybe it will help uh, others as well so i started understanding um uh, as i went through this i realized there's a there's a reason why the uh, the rituals are there uh, and the way i understand it is we are by um by default we end up many of us end up being more tamasic by nature right we there's more lethargy uh, there is um inertia in us right so in general we want to move from being predominantly tamasic to eventually predominantly satvic but you cannot do that unless you go through the intermediate phase which is of uh predominantly rajasic now how do you go from becoming uh, from a tamasic um mentality to a rajasic mentality they they saying hey go ahead and do things that benefit you you know satvic mentality is something that's going to benefit everybody as we saw in in the the karma yoga mentality and all that but before you reach there you have to initially pull yourself up and start doing it rather than sitting on sitting somewhere right so the initial part is to say go do it even if it benefits only you right so these rituals when when people do things like oh yeah i do these things because i want uh, a good health for my family i want more wealth for my myself and my family and me mine i it's okay they're saying in the initial stages go ahead and at least do that and rituals are one way of pulling ourselves out of a predominantly tamasic mentality not just mentality physical as well as mental as anupama pointed out earlier um, and the reason everybody i i think i heard this from everyone saying yeah I, there's discipline because by saying do this every day or do this every week 
it is a kind of tapas that we are giving ourselves, which is to now say, okay, I, I need to do these things. Hence, I need to move. I need to do things. Um, uh, and puts ourselves into a, in, into a more disciplined mode, which is making us rajasic, right? Eventually, as we start doing this, we graduate from being predominantly rajasic to a tamasic mentality, where we start to doing uh, things with a little more selfless attitude. That's where we'll end up eventually. At least we need to get there. So that's, um, and when people say uh, that, uh, you know, it, let's say the ritual is that of prayer. And when, or when you're doing uh, elaborate ritual, finally you feel good. There's no doubt because you're, you're uh, become more, more and more sattvic in the process of doing that from being tamasic. So you, you feel better. You're, you're feeling better both mentally and physically. And hence, you're going to make more better choices around um, your uh, immediate surroundings uh, uh, that particular day or that particular few hours, right? So it plays a part. The main thing for me, understanding for me, is that it takes us from being tamasic to rajasic on our way to becoming more sattvic. Well summarized, uh, Kishore, well summarized. Thank you, Kishore. It kind of said what I've been wanting to say. I've been wanting to say. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, I uh, also um, was thinking while you were talking, Kishore, that uh, in the ancient times, the rituals was the karma yoga itself, wasn't it? Or perhaps different types of people had their different activities and so forth. Uh, maybe one or two sets of people, the rishis or whoever, they were doing these things as a service to everybody else. And that was like full-time, that, that was their full-time karma yoga. Yeah, the way I understand it, again, see if you look at humanity as, uh, as a spectrum of um, people with different proportions of tamas, rajas, and sattva, right? Uh, I know I'm being a little technical here. Maybe uh, some of us are not familiar with those gunas yet, but if you look at it that way, um, uh, some of us tend to be predominantly um, uh, on the tamasic side. Some of us are very, uh, um, I don't want to say active, but just very uh, passionate and we are, we are just doing things very, uh, and we also become restless in the process and some of us more contemplative, right? So in the spectrum, uh, unless you, uh, so if you look at Vedanta, which is the latter part of the Vedas, right? The, there's a Karma Kanda and the, um, and the Nana Kanda, right? Which is to, to graduate to the knowledge level, you need to have a, you need to have a mind that's somewhat turned inward, somewhat. And uh, because otherwise you wouldn't even value that. You wouldn't even go there uh, in the first place, right? Um, and to be able to do that, you have to go through uh, go through these uh, the different spectrum in a different, you know in the sense that you have to pull yourself out from lethargy into action, even if it means selfish actions, and eventually reach this point. So it's just laying out that path, saying depending on where you are, you know you don't have to do rituals if you're already in you're ready for the 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 higher uh, knowledge already. You don't have to go through the rituals. But maybe some, some of amongst us are there. So we, it takes us from there to the middle and then to the higher end. So that's how I see it. I mean, uh, it's 
laid out for people in the different um, in this big spectrum. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, it's funny. So my father, um, no rituals, no routines or anything, but extremely disciplined guy. And he's retired and everything like, like many of our parents, right? And he started doing this Vishnu Sastranami, like Guntax's favorite. Every day he does that now. So I asked him, uh, why did you suddenly start doing this thing? And he said, uh, you won't understand. So not, not, I mean, if there was another constant, right? We talk about constant and non-constant. That was, that is a constant. <laughs> anyway, but I, I think he, he definitely feels a benefit out of it. And that's, that's the reason he's doing it. So. I guess, I guess one of the things which sort of uh, is important when you do rituals or uh, japa or, you know, sing a hymn or whatever, is to understand the context behind it. And I, I somehow feel that, uh, you know, when it comes to hymns, you know, which is more kind of knowledge or conceptual, you probably can get it. But a lot of the rituals which involve sort of a fire and a puja or whatever, I think needs a little more understanding at a certain base level before you can start to appreciate it. And I'm some, somewhat far from it. So that's just my perception. I may be wrong. But uh, anything that you do needs to have you need to understand the rationale for why you're doing what you're doing. And that's where I struggle, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, um, Ajay, I can empathize with you because I used to be like that. And I said, unless until I have a rationale, I will not do it. My mom, my mom and dad used to say, do this, do this. I said, no, unless until I have the rationale, my, my parents could never explain that. Sometimes they explained, sometimes they did not. But now I've become 180 degrees convert. I said, if there is, if something has, has been told, that means there is a rationale. It is my lack of intelligence as it, or maturity as it, that I have not yet understood it. Maybe over a period of time, if you keep following it, I will understand. That's why I started following everything now. And, and maybe, maybe Rajesh, it has something to do with sort of where you are in your, your spiritual journey. I mean, at this point, and I, you know, I just started like at the top of this year, right? Uh, at this point, I'm kind of, I almost like got my mind and sort of thoughts full of what we are talking about on the on the on the Jnana yoga right or a Jnana side of things right so I'm saying okay let me just focus on that let me get my head around it and I, I you know I'm actually kind of I really enjoyed the second six chapters because it has kind of helped me understand the concept of God in a more sort of again rational manner and you know again you know and Swami Sarupriyananda ji kind of says it very often that you know Hinduism is a very logical religion and you can explain the concept of God then now rather than sort of something that you kind of find out after you you go to heaven or wherever right so to that extent I'm kind of able to relate to this a lot better yeah but yeah maybe I'll get to that point but at this point it just you know even even if I go to a temple I mean I like the idea of a temple and the kind of simple sort of quiet around it but uh, and you know it's a nice experience but it is not a it's not something that I kind of say, okay, wow, I need to go to a temple. I mean, if I go to a temple, I, I'm, I'm fine. But if I don't go, I'm fine too, kind of thing. Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. One one thing about the rituals before we move to the next topic, right? I think one of the most important thing is if ritual is a daily routine that we have and everything. It's all great. But one of the things that sometimes could happen to us is when we skip a ritual. Okay. If there's a sense of guilt that gets into us, gets into us. Oh, I skipped this. Then that is something that to be watchful of. There's nothing wrong in skipping a couple of days. The idea is not to feel the guilt. And the idea is how can you not feel the guilt is, you know, to step back from that, to see that as a ritual, but to see it more as a purificatory exercise. The moment you see it that way, then, you know, what Anupama was talking and then what Kishore was expressing, that becomes much, much more relevant and that sense of guilt will go away. Okay. It used to happen to me. That's why I'm sharing this with you guys. You know, when I, uh, uh, you know, I used to... Uh, uh, sit down and you know spend five minutes in front of the pictures what what we have at home right if i don't do it i used to wonder oh no i'm not done in my day is going to go bad and all that stuff but after some time you know no that's not the reason why i'm doing that the moment it struck me then whether i do it or not you know whether i'm in front of that space the physical space or not it really did not matter yeah yeah no and i and i, and I i'm with you on that I mean, I, for example, do some, uh, I do some chanting in the morning now, right? On some things that I've learned recently and I like it. I understand it, right? And there are days when I'm kind of making a significant effort to do it because I either not, I'm not in the mood or I'm kind of running late or whatever, right? And a lot of it, as Anupama said, is also because of the discipline. I kind of say I shouldn't miss it because I don't want to get out of that discipline, right? But otherwise, I mean, I mean, there's no other sort of what I call you know, uh, religious reason for missing it, but it's more around the fact that I do want to continue doing it because that's good discipline. So for me, what it uh, connected was about the uh, relation to physical exercise. So sudden, I used to earlier do some round of meditations, but used to give up thinking, oh, this is a waste of time. I'm not being efficient. Like 90% of the time, mind is just not doing the japa chanting or focusing on one thing. But then when I read this analogy about like if suddenly somebody asks you to get up and run an eight minute or six minute mile, uh, the body cannot do it. And you need like a lot of practice and your first day or 10th day of practice is not going to be anywhere close, but you know, you're moving your body and stretching it. And then the, uh, the flip for it was like your mind is an order of magnitude or more harder than your body to, to bring it under control. So it might feel like very inefficient or a wasteful purpose, but having that ritual in one way and having just that practice, just keep chugging along, but with the right intention, it will slowly, you'll be making progress eventually. So that's how I kind of uh, learned that way from it. I wanted to add to that, that, uh, you know, if there is any ritual which I do, and if I'm unable to do it, actually, I just mentally do it a little bit. And it's, I feel it's quite important, you, you, taking a mental note of it, that it's not that you've forgotten, which is more of that, you know, you're sticking to the discipline. And because of circumstances, actually mentally just offering everything, it is as powerful as doing it with things, sitting there and as Rajesh yes. was saying, you don't need to be physically yes. present there, but you can just mentally go through that routine quickly and, and move on. Yeah, I think I think that's that's immensely powerful. And just going back to what Rajesh was saying, to not feel the guilt. And if I can just share my personal experience, uh, 
you know, I was very regular every Tuesday, I will go to our local Hanumanji Ka Mandir. Uh, but since the lockdown in March, I have not got there for the last six months. And I have not felt guilty at all. Uh, because as Alpna was saying that, you know, it's just the bhavna. It's ultimately you can be in your house and in your own mandir, you can pray. And you say that, look, whenever it opens up, I will go and pray. Uh, well, it is still open, but I'm not stepping out. Uh, so whenever I'm able to step out, I'll go and do go back to that ritual. But until then, I can just sit in my home and pray uh, to the same deity here and nothing really changes. So I think those are two very powerful ideas that A, not feeling guilty and B, you know, uh, just being able to mentally offer it and doesn't need to be going there physically. Yeah. And there's one more layer to this onion, okay, which is a caution that I, that I want to tell you. Sometimes I get lazy, okay, to do my... <laughs> And that, going back to Kishore's point, that's the thamasic way. At that time, if you say, nah, I don't want to do this, you know, then I think that's not the right attitude what I'm developing. So that's the caution, you know, <laughs> rituals. I, yeah, I know. Uh, just to add to that, rituals doesn't have to be um, religious or uh, it doesn't have to only mean something uh, related to that, right? Getting up early in the morning, at, at five in the morning and meditating is a ritual too. Right? If you really think about it, that's something that you're doing repeatedly and, and uh, consistently. And anything you do, do that way, in a way, is a ritual. It, it's an offering. But, but Rajesh, as, as you said... Point. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you no, go no, ahead. You go ahead sir. I was no, saying, Rajesh... What I was Rajesh. saying is that, you know, little bit of guilt, little bit of guilt is helpful yeah. To get you out of your lethargy. Sattvic okay, Absolutely. Absolutely. See, Absolutely. the example which you gave, VP, I mean, I went through exactly the same thing as you went through, you know, like not going to the temple, but, and I had a good enough excuse. What's the use, you know, of going and trying also. But then one day I really said, and I found the temple to be open. So, you know, what I'm saying is that one is to have zero guilt and one is to have guilt, which is, Killing you, oh, what a, I am a sinful guy. But I think the answer is somewhere in between. But for me, at least some amount of guilt or remorse or being conscious, as I said about Sankalp, you know, does help me to get, scoop me out of the little bit of lethargy, which is, you know, the mind plays the game with you, it rationalizes. It's absolutely okay not to do that. So that's the only point, a perspective I wanted to add. VP, yes, over to you, please. You know, I was just saying to Rajesh's point, it's okay to be a little tamsik, you know, rather than four, you can wake up at five and that's okay. Absolutely. Actually, when you, when you overdo it is where there is a problem actually, you know, so, you know, I, as I was reading, you know, this chapter, uh, I just took a photograph of, um, you know, that uh, Patram Falam, uh, Sorry, Patram Pushpam Falam Toyam, that, you know, uh, that, that one, I actually sent it to my mom because, you know, uh, at 85, when when the, you know, Krishna Jayanti came in uh, recently, so she'll prepare some 10, 15 type of uh, offerings for uh, Krishna <laughs> at her age, you know, I mean, standing and doing and after that, you know, for many days, there will be some other thumb issues and so on, right? 
they were telling her <laughs> that you know nothing it's not really required krishna never asked for sidai and you know murgu or anything you know just <laughs> offers <laughs> offer right let me finish so just offer whatever you can with the right attitude i think that's fine actually i i know where he asked for this list actually you know just love yeah. um it it sounds to me yeah it, it, i was just saying it sounds to me like um you know we use these rituals to develop good habits you know we want to develop certain habits that we think will help us you know in some way and the rituals are a means to start developing those habits like waking up in the morning you know you can force yourself to wake up in the morning at a certain time because you know you think you want to do that as a ritual but in fact it's you know it's a good thing for the body to anyways wake up in the morning and you know be in the fresh air or whatever so it it's a means to developing good habits once it becomes a habit then you don't think of it as a ritual anymore yeah and actually um um uh, you said it very well manu and i think uh, the the next 13 next next six chapters talk about those quote unquote habits which need not be physical habits physical and mental habits right that one needs to develop the the gita takes that segue into the last thing saying that hey the first six chapters krishna tells arjuna who you are as an individual the next six chapters he tells who is the god and the third six chapters says these two are no different these two are the same but you know you need to develop certain mental and physical habits that you need to change so that you can realize that that takes to the next chapter when we read that i think that's yeah. a to it it's such a powerful last set of things and i i can tell you uh, i can already see that you know um, we will not be able to do one chapter per uh, per week the reading will be difficult okay because we will not be able to grasp it at the first instance but let's do what we are doing right now and then we'll figure out if that's working out or not otherwise we'll mull it for two weeks yeah so rajesh i mean i, was... I have a suggestion uh, since we are completing this next six chapters can we take the can we take your 2 by 2 matrix for the next uh, class Uh, sure we'll we can do that, that a bit yeah more. we can do this. we'll do one yeah. thing uh, we'll do one thing we'll take the two by two matrix and also summarize the first 12 chapters wonderful okay. actually be good i mean it, it might take more than sort of one uh, one uh, session uh, rajesh yeah. but yeah i think i think it's it's worthwhile sort of just recapping everything yeah yeah let's do that let's do the next session um before we go to the you know the chapter yeah the last thing yeah yeah uh, you know let's try to let's try to recap and uh you know discuss this this thing so basically essentially what we'll cover is the so far what we have read in this uh, book uh in this book and then we'll also cover what we've discussed in tatvabodha i think these are the two broad things that we have been uh, covering so we'll go through the entire thing and look at that okay so um i know we're coming to almost end of the time end of the time but there's one thing that we have not not yet covered right which is an important thing for us to start thinking about maybe we can have a conversation on whatsapp so um here's a question the question is when we open our eyes and see and experience with all the five senses the entire world how many of us actually consider that this is god if yes how if no why not i'm sorry say that again i didn't get when the you, question when you open your eyes yeah. and see the world okay there is a rupa darshan 
whatever that you see okay vishwarupa darshanam right whatever that you see how many of us consider that this is god how many of us this is consider that this is not god so that's not all. not, not everything uh, rajesh frankly you know i mean if i see something you know very uh, uh, magical or beautiful in the nature that's how i associate like you know you see a spider web then you know i think that way but not not at everything that i see not i haven't come to that maturity yeah, i mean there are there, there are two steps i guess one is you know vibhuti and then vishwarup and vibhuti is easier because you kind of are looking at things that you are you, you which are which are pleasant to the eyes or which are just generally pleasant as opposed to kind of seeing you know i mean for, i mean this simple example taking a gutter gutter or a or a or an insect and to see god in it is harder i guess right uh, i mean conceptually we get it or at least i get it but uh, you know is it intuitively kind of you feel this is god not not there yet meaning of the word vibhuti because i am so drawn to the tamil word with the ashes that we put on the forehead like i i never can relate what does it mean vibhuti 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 at least in the geeta it is the way i understand it uh, uh, is it's uh, it's manifestation any any manifestation of the of, of the universe is a vibhuti Okay. Anything that Anta, is Gunz, got an image. Guns used this Tamil word in the last class. You you missed it. Peri- no, Santa, it's it's perimay or glory. I think the glory of the. Uh, I asked the same question, okay. Santa, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the reason why I posed that question is, I think you know, it's it's one of the important things because you know Vedanta finally collapses and to say that you know. everything is you that's it there's nothing else right but right now we see the three things now the three things has to be collapsed to two and two to one so that step about you know looking at a gutter and saying okay i can't i don't think this is god that reflects our likes and dislikes likewise there are so many likes and dislikes that yeah. so going back to the first karma yoga chapter okay why do we do karma yoga karma yoga is to neutralize our likes and dislikes so likewise this is also a practice in neutralizing our likes and dislikes so the goal is the same but the way that you achieve the goal is different yeah and i think the way the way the, the way it's been described in one of the lectures that i heard was that every single creation in this universe big or small or insignificant is very very precise and you know it is a marvel in itself right and you know you can look at it and kind of you may like it or not like it but each creation each every little thing is 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 enormously sort of uh, evolved right and uh, and you know again if you look at look at discovery or you 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 look at animal planet you know if you get into the detail of it it is it is just mind boggling right uh, we may not like it the sight of it for example yeah but uh, the fact remains that each of each each each, each creation is 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 wonderful and uh, ajay the the create the creation is not just in my understanding right it's not just those uh, living beings even the environment the non living environment yes. creation and that's also beautiful exactly exactly everything i mean every part of the universe i mean it may not look pretty at in some places which is right. fine right uh, but at the end of the day each creation and i think there's another part about sort of we spoke about the balance right and and i think you know whether it is good bad you know people that we interact with we like dislike i mean at some level the balance is is actually i mean stephen hawking actually talks about that in at circulated i think one of the articles he actually talks about this balance being very very precise and tenuous and you know if 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 one sort of micron or whatever the smallest particle you can think of were to move 
or, or to be displaced, for example, the whole universe would, would collapse is how he kind of characterizes it. So, you know, there is a, there is a place and need and, you know, purpose for every, you know, every little thing, every creature, every, you know, living, non-living piece, which kind of makes the universe what it is. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think um, um, we have probably... 30 seconds. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to add to what Ajay said. Um, if you saw, I attended this uh, interview with, with this lady, the astrophysicist. And that was just, uh, I mean, we, I've seen some of that data before, but what we are seeing is only 5% of the entire this universe. Just 5% yeah. is accounted for. 95% is unseen. That, that's what, I mean, she, she's a hardcore scientist. She's talking about this, right? Um, and then actually, after she hung up and went away, uh, the, the person that was interviewing her, he, he did bring up this religion thing again, uh, based on the last discussion. And it was extremely interesting. I, I think that there is, there is a lot of thinking happening now, which is very refreshing to see because a lot of scientists right tend to be very, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they just push all this religious stuff. Just, away, right? Yeah, they're dismissive of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a thinking of bringing them together again, because they do see that there is meaning and logic in this. And even 5% goons might be high, actually. Yeah, possible. That's, that's what the, I mean, that's a calculation, right? So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But 5% relates well to that we use only 5% of our brain. So, <laughs> you said to be, it yes. may not be just a coincidence. <laughs> All right. So, one, one other topic that we should probably uh, think about at this point of time is uh, our definition of what exactly does it mean to have moksha. Okay. And I'll tell you why it is important because, you know, there's so many new concepts that are coming in. There's some, some entity called God, there's some entity called Atma, there's some entity called Mind. No, and still we have our own problems. Okay, we have our likes, dislikes and all that. So what exactly is moksha? You know, I think we'll have to think about that a little. So that, you know, we can, when we go to the next part of the Gita, right, where it talks about habits to develop and to let go, then we will have a little bit better, clearer, clearer understanding of why we have to do some of the things, the purpose, like what Shamala or somebody was mentioning. Right? The rituals, purpose of the rituals is lost. So we may have to recap in our own mind, you know, what exactly does it mean for me? as an individual at this point of time. That's very important. So I want to remind you guys to think about it um, as part of the thing, right? Okay. I got scared by your last question when you asked whether we see God. If you'll say, okay, unless we do that, we are not going to move. Then <laughs> lifetimes will be here. <laughs> Same Zoom call every right, Sunday. This real needed not fee again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, 30 more seconds. Anybody wants to say, okay, uh, maybe uh, uh, Manu and Shamla, I definitely want to hear your thoughts. I know that you're joining this group for the first, uh, first time. I want to hear your thoughts, how it went, and how we have to change uh, our discussions, whatever, you know, your, you know, before you get, quote unquote, you know, into the flow, hear from your perspective how it is. 
Rajesh, I think there is a little bit of uh, more ground that we need to cover. We we were in chapter six there, and there is you know it was all about uh, who am I? And so when you asked that question, we were right there, you know, in 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 thick of trying to understand that question, right? So there are six more chapters which we haven't done, which we would be reading. So it's more of listening mode right now. I love the format. I love the way each one of us are bringing our experiences. We are just able to, you know, talk our mind, good or bad, right or wrong. There is no right answer here. So we, we, I like it. I personally like it. We need to do a lot, much more reading, and uh, maybe we'll have to ask a few more naive questions, which you guys have already found answers to, and can help us invite. Yeah, I, I agree with Shamla. We have a lot of ground to cover to reach where you guys are. Um, but I thought that the discussion was very uh, helpful uh, in, and it, it made, makes me think about certain things that, you know, maybe I've not really been thinking about. So uh, a lot of, uh, lot of good, you know, um, prompts to think about. So I like that. Okay, fantastic. And, and is there anything the two of you can, we can help you, by, both of you to kind of come up the curve uh, in any way, I mean, there's a lot of WhatsApp chatter that goes on, so that you, you you should you should probably put your questions or thoughts on there if if you want to kind of instigate a, a, a kind of a conversation. We will do that, Ajay. Alpana and Anu have been doing a great job of you know uh, mm -hmm. actually handholding us, the toddlers in this journey. Yeah. So we we keep asking them a lot of you know very very naive questions, and pretty soon they'll be out of patience and then we'll come to you. You know, when they say that now we've said enough to you, you guys don't understand the base too, then, you know, you will be our next. Don't say that. Shamla, don't say that because after nine months, you know, I still ask those naive questions. So if they haven't thrown me out, I think you have a chance actually. Don't worry. I am very hopeful now. <laughs> and Rajesh, there were, there were three people who joined. Who was the third one? Remind me. Shelly couldn't make it. She had some conflict. So she last okay, minute she could, but she'll be joining from next time. Okay, great. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. And Alpana and Anu, Anupama, thank you so much for both of you for uh, you know bringing them up to speed. <laughs> I think it's more like, I'm just like the bystander support. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're happy to help in any way. Mm. All right. Over to you, Alpana. Alright. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Enjoy Thank you. your weekend and uh, look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Thank you. Bye. 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 B